It is Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. A beautiful morning here, almost a clear sky. Well, I guess it's a little bit like cloudy, but not in any significant way. It's a huge blue canvas up there. And last night, I got to tell you, I walked it down the hill a bit to the other side where there's some sort of overlook or something. I don't know exactly what it is, but I just sort of hung out there with the dog watching the mountains as the sun set. It was absolutely beautiful. The, the scenery up here is unparalleled, and we are here until July the 3rd. We are at ForkFest number 6, 2022. Check it out at ForkFest.party if you want to come and hang out with us. That's ForkFest.party. With you today, it's Aria. Nikki. I've had coffee. <laughs> Good introduction. That, of course, is the captain. <laughs> Wearing two pairs of sunglasses, or two pairs of glasses, rather. That's, that's true. <laughs> well, that way he can see. I mean, I guess that's easier. I've or... developed a new technique. I, <laughs> I put the sunglasses on first, and then the reading glasses on over them. Do they and not that make way... tinted reading glasses? Well, they do, but I just don't have okay. you know that kind this of thing. This is just easier for him. So, and this just happened, because I had the sunglasses on top of my head, and I had the reading glasses on, sort of you know down towards the edge of my nose, looking all snooty looking over at them at people like grandmothers do sure and and then the shades just kind of fell down you know in place and i was like hey this works i can like read an article on my phone and protect my eyes from bright light well we're also in the shade right so i mean i mean i still need shades man okay fair enough so nikki you brought in a story about the california attorney general tell me what's going on with that. yes i did so this is from fox news uh, a gun rights group fires back at California Attorney General. <laughs> is that a pun? A gun rights group fires uh, back? Actually, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so the Attorney General leaked information of firearms data, and Fox News thinks that he should resign, which I tend to agree with that. The the Attorney General himself released it, or he had like some mechanism in place that you know allowed it to be released? I'm not sure. It was... Allegedly an accident. Allegedly. I mean, I doubt that. That's what they say about all data leaks, from whether it's from a company or a government. Yeah, exactly. And it's just kind of ironic because the left is really into having people with firearms register them and jumping through all the government hoops. And, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Well, your private and sensitive information could be leaked. That's something that could happen. And clearly it has in California, so... And that's so typical of, you know, just how things work in general. I don't know how many, you know, governmental leaks there are, but they they do sort of want these registration things. And our issue with them isn't whether or not they're going to get leaked into the private sector or anything like that, because I tend to think this, this data is probably better off in the hands of, you know, the actual public and the private businesses than it is in the hands of the government. But I'm more worried about governments abusing their access to this. Like, they had this registry. Okay, now they have the addresses of everyone they need to target yes. when they go to confiscate guns. Well, and that's the big thing, and that's why I'm against gun licensure and registration and these things, because it's none of the government's business what I have or who else has things. It's it's none of their business, and I, see, I don't Now you're want... talking like an extremist. Oh, Nikki. I I might be. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Are there extremists on this show? I, I believe so, but, I mean... I'm not the expert. You'd have to ask, you know, the FBI and all of them. They're the ones who throw that label around. I don't think it's all that extreme to be like, hey, we should live in peace with one another. To me, that's like the opposite of extreme. I don't know if I can be on a show with extremists, though. That seems, well, extreme. It is. 
Would you would you prefer enemies of the state? Because I'm certainly, of course, I would. I'm certainly enemy of the state. Okay, I, perfect. I would certainly prefer enemies of the state right. over the state itself. Hell yeah. Well, I'm glad we can all agree on that. So. The Office of California's Attorney General, Rob Bonta, released the personal information of thousands of California gun owners and concealed carry permit holders to the public this week. And Second Amendment activists see I, this as a major breach of privacy. I gotta be honest, I'm kind of surprised that California has thousands of concealed gun carry permit holders. I mean, they are not inclined to give those. California is one of these May issue states, which means they have discretion. Yeah. Or at least they did prior to this latest Supreme Court ruling about guns. They had the ability to say, no, we don't think you should have a concealed carry. You haven't demonstrated us that you have a need well, for a so concealed carry me, permit. Well, to me, California having a bunch of concealed permit holders just tells me that the market for private security is pretty large. And I say that because of places like, oh, I don't know, Hollywood, for example. Bunch of wealthy movie producers, movie stars, that kind of thing. Uh, sure. and, that, and that whole kind of thing. What do they all have? They all have private bodyguards. They all got private security, not just for themselves, but for the big events that they throw and attend and all that kind of stuff. So those people are, are the ones that I'm sure have concealed weapons permits. Good point, and they, they're probably... No, never mind. So how are people reacting to this other than, you know, being upset about this? I, I'm still curious about the mechanism. I'm sure the article, you know, doesn't really go into it, but... Yeah, probably How not. did this leak actually happen? Did well, he's just like, I'm going to post this document to this website or well, whatever? I'm assuming it does not go into that in the Fox News article, but I'm assuming that it was some sort of, you know, how they're, it's, it's always like a terrorist organization or, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming it happened within the database and a glitch of security or I'm not really sure. It would be so easy for them to like air gap this database though. And, you know, that would be best practice. That, that's what credit card companies have to do. Or if you have a credit card processor, you literally have to have a server that is air-gapped from the ne- rest of the network. And that, well, that yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Government isn't subject to those things because, well, they think they're better than everybody else. I don't think it's even a law that requires that to happen. I think it's the third parties that actually do the credit card processing. They have the very high standards. Yeah. And we ran into that here on Free Talk Live with the old AMP program. And I ran into it back in the day when, with one of my old IT companies. One of the companies that my IT firm did consultations for, where the the requirements just to have them have the ability to process credit cards directly Mm -hmm. instead of going through Square or something like that. It was still going through a third party because all of these ultimately go through some third party. It was just insane. Well, uh, the one thing that credit card companies have that governments don't when it comes to Uh, privacy is they have an incentive to provide good customer service, including securing their data, which governments don't have. They have no incentive to do anything well or within budget or even morally. They have no incentive at all. And so because they don't have the incentive, they're just not going to do these things that are common throughout every industry. Right, it's exactly like the post office. If any governmental organization should have invented email... It should have been the post office. Right, yes. And yet they never in a thousand years would have invented post uh, email. I'm surprised they're not still delivering by horseback. That's a fair <laughs> point. But they still have a lot of people on foot, which I suppose does make sense in the city, but... Sure. I, I would rather, you know, if I had delivered mail in New York City, I'd rather do it on foot. 
then, yeah. you know. I'd rather just not. <laughs> That's also a fair point. <laughs> I would get the I'd hell out of New, New York, York City. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, literally anywhere else would be better. Even, like, Los Angeles would be just ever so slightly better <laughs> than New York City. It, well, I don't know. I guess there's weirdos in both locations, but... Yeah, at least it's warm in Los Angeles. You that's, know? Yeah, that's it right there. I've been to New York City once, right? Never, never again by choice. If I can help it, I will never, ever go back. That's why I was so thrilled to end up not having to go to New York City uh, back in early this oh, month or talkers. whatever. Yeah, yeah. because I, did, I wasn't inclined to go. The one time I went, it was an absolute nightmare. The layout of the city, the streets, they don't make any damn sense. Everyone there is angry at everyone else. And I- the... I had to do some amazing uh, freeway maneuvering. Uh, fortunately, I'm experienced in driving in heavy yeah. traffic in big cities, and so I had to rely on my veteran savvy to uh, do some some barging and some shoulder driving and some wedging in between cars and that kind of a thing. See, Just- mine was particularly unpleasant because I don't. The two of you probably never saw it, but. I was with Will Coley of Muslims for Liberty at the time, and he didn't have a valid license, so I was driving, and the van was enormous. It was like for a family of eight, and they had like a family of eight or something like that. So it was just this enormous van that I'm trying to drive through downtown New York on like 7th Street and Parallel Park and stuff like that. Just an absolute nightmare. I can only imagine. I'm sure it would be better in my, you know, eclipse with the top down and stuff like that, but still it left such a bad taste in my mouth I'd never want to do it again. Just like giving information to the government, we're going to talk more about that. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. And as I understand it, Bitcoin is on sale, has dropped down to about $19,000. So don't just jump into it like a lunatic and buy Bitcoin. First, learn about it. Go to Bitcoin.com, click Getting Started at the top of the page, and take a few minutes out of your day to learn about this important world-changing technology. They have a couple of videos there. You can take as much time as you need to process the information. You can dig as deeply into it as you want. And if you already know about Bitcoin, go to news.bitcoin.com to stay up to date on all of the news and headlines that are relevant to you, all on a sleek, easy-to-use modern website. That's news.bitcoin.com. I, I think you can jump into it like a lunatic, as long as you do it with a very small amount of money. Okay, fair. But I guess that wouldn't be jumping into it like a lunatic, right? That would well, be in every other aspect, uh, yeah, right? So if you... Only had like a hundred bucks, you know, and you threw five bucks at this, five bucks at that, five bucks at the other. That might be jumping into it like a lunatic, but with a small amount of money. Well, and that's kind of what I would tell anybody for any sort of investment. And I'm not a financial advisor by any means, but it's normally a wise thing to do is to not invest more than you can afford to lose. Bingo. You know, well, that's so sort I'm- of the issue I have with Bitcoin as a whole, right? Is it shouldn't be an investment. But it has yeah. become one. Yeah, for, for people. many people it yeah. has. It, it's because the people who have sort of turned it into an investment still don't quite get it. Well, no, they get it. They just wanted it to be an investment. Uh, there was a filming, there was a, what is the word I'm looking for, where they show a movie to a bunch of people 
a screening. A screening, yes, of who killed Bitcoin here at the Mises tent mm-hmm. uh, earlier uh, earlier in the week, last week during the Porcupine Freedom Festival, and it it makes a compelling argument that all of this was intentionally done by Blockstream, which is in part owned by companies like J.P. Morgan Chase right. and Wells Fargo, and I can't remember the other one. Uh, the World Economic Forum has a major investments in Blockstream and stuff like that. So it made a very convincing convincing argument, and you know. I was of this impression anyway, and here's this documentary that says exactly what I've been saying, but they condensed it down to 45 minutes and cited all of their sources and had all these awesome little graphs. The only issue I had with Who Killed Bitcoin, which is free to watch on YouTube, is that they should have hired a narrator, someone with a better voice, because the guy I who, can do it. Yeah, Anybody needs a narrator. <laughs> the guy know. who did it, his voice was flat, and he spoke at like one pitch through the entire thing. Oh, oh the robo yeah. monotone. Yeah, I am a robot monotone. This it wasn't is how quite I talk. that extreme, but it it was pretty extreme. I mean, like the the only mark I have against that movie was that you know they there are countless people in the Liberty community who would have done this narration for free. But, I mean, it's still a great documentary, so check it out. That's Who Killed Bitcoin. And, you know, we're we're talking... I don't want to get into that any further. We're talking now about this California attorney general who released... And sorry about all of the background noise. I don't know what is being picked up and what isn't. We are here on site at a campground, and they are cutting grass at the moment. It's actually... It's like a cacophony of mowers at this point. There's It's surround sound because they're everywhere. Well, it's hard to mow the lawn when there's campers all over it. So, you know, some of the campers have left from the Porcupine Festival and now uh, they're taking advantage of it before the big holiday rolls around. So we're talking about this California attorney general. People are calling for his resignation after some number of thousands is what it was. Thousands of people in California had their information, quote, accidentally leaked. And it's unclear. The article doesn't get into what, wh- how this actually happened because it it has. I don't know how you can accidentally leak a database like this unless you just. I don't know, and the article doesn't explain. So, so tell us more about what's going yeah. on here, Nikki. So this is what the executive director of Gun Owners of California told Fox News on Wednesday. So he says. We believe that the Attorney General is either massively incompetent, incredibly negligent, or willing to criminally leak information that he does not have authority to leak. Who has authority to leak information? Right. (laughs) You're the official leak guy. Well, I guess if it's my information, I would have the authority to, but but no one else would. I guess it's not a leak. That's just me releasing my own information, right? It's not a leak unless it didn't happen on purpose or happened on, you know, not on purpose. So he goes on to say, this is so egregious that he should resign. He has placed tens of thousands of abiding citizens in California in harm's way. That is not excusable with an I'm sorry. No, it's certainly not. I mean, this is the sort of thing that you can't undo. I remember, was it Visa or it was some credit union? I don't remember exactly what, but they had, you know, millions upon millions of customers' data released onto the black market and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing you can't undo with a sorry. And the fallout from this was people had to, you know, get their thousands, if not millions of people had to get their social security numbers changed and all kinds of stuff. It's ridiculous. All because of this one leak. 
You could change your social security number? Yes. Wow. I didn't know that either, actually. It, it generally, you have to be a victim of identity theft, I believe, in order to do it. And I'm sure it's not an easy thing to do. I'm sure they had to jump through several very annoying hoops to be able to do that. Yeah, nothing is easy. I, I know you, ha- you can get your social security number changed because my my father, when I turned 18, took out a bunch of credit cards in my name and you know, uh, did that whole thing. Okay. So. Changing my social security number to one he did not know was the only recourse to stop him from doing that for the sure. rest of my life. Because otherwise, he would have kept on doing it. Because that's what you know, yeah. drug addicts do. So you can't do it. It's just it. Does, it took a police report and some other crap. Not not a pleasant time. And of course, I had to. At the time, I wasn't sure that it was my dad, so I, I was just strongly suspicious, right? So I wasn't able to be like, "Oh yeah, it was certainly him." Yeah. Never found the credit cards or anything like that. But yeah. You can do it. It's just frustrating, and it's tedious, and it's a long, drawn-out process, like you would expect it to be when you're dealing with the government. So, apparently on Monday, and it's not really clear whether it was the Monday after the leak or before the leak. I'm going to assume after, but the Attorney General said that a new portal was created to improve transparency in information sharing for firearms-related data. Okay, so... So, I don't know if that's their solution, but... It sounds like that's probably what created the issue. They yeah. had this new web portal that people could use, and they probably, you know, secured the database using, you know, the the username of root and the password of all lowercase password or mm-hmm. some yeah. nonsense like yeah. that. Admin, admin, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It still amazes me that, you know, like, Windows Server 2008 or 2012 was the most recent one that I really worked on extensively. They were still, you know, having administrator as the default username for administrator accounts. And it's like the very first thing you want to do as an IT administrator is disable the administrator account and make a new one called like super or whatever. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's just a massive security leak. I mean, a security vulnerability. And these things are common. It, Governments are not likely to hire the good IT people. They're, they're most likely to hire their buddy yeah. who has an IT company, and he might not be very good. He might not be the best, but he's going to get the job because, you know, it's his wife's cousin who is in charge of picking the one who's doing it, yep. and it doesn't matter if he's the lowest bidder or what. It's like, he's the guy who's going to get the job done. And, then and he's probably going to do it for more money. Probably. Than yeah. somebody that's more competent. Or his business already does, you know, something else or a different kind of business. And they're like, well, he already handles our paper, so let's have him handle our IT. Yep. And the result is nonsense like this. We're going to keep talking about this. The Attorney General and the massive data leak in California. There is more coming up. It is Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com. Yeah. 
It is Free Talk Live from Fork Fest 2022 here in the beautiful White Mountain Southern New Hampshire. Absolutely beautiful day here. Not overly hot, not overly cold. The, the breeze here is a little bit on the chilly side. I like it. But I'm also sitting here in a, in a skirt and a tank top, so you know, I could just put Me on too. more clothes. No, what well, Sort of. I mean, <laughs> I'm wearing sort shorts of. and a, and a It's the equivalent <laughs> amount of clothing. It's just shaped in different ways. Well, actually, I guess the tank top is different from the collared and you know, short sleeve shirt. But I want to tell you about Liberty in Our Lifetime. It's an event coming up in Prague. You can find it at LifetimeLiberty.com. Mark Edge is going to be speaking there along with people like Titus Gebel, Magat Wade, Michael Strong, Stephen Livera, and others. Go to LifetimeLiberty.com and when you're checking out, use code FTL20 to get 20% off of your tickets. That's LifetimeLiberty.com, FTL20 for your discount code. Because we, we have been seeing government just overreach expanding throughout COVID-19. And that's one of the reasons this is taking place in Prague. Interestingly enough, they don't have any sort of vaccination requirement to enter the country and things like that. And that, that was a bit of an issue at last year's Lifetime Liberty. That's a green check mark for Prague. It is. And I'm not sure how fast these tickets are going to sell out. I do know that within a week of promoting Lifetime Liberty, Liberty in our lifetime last year, within a week of us promoting it, they were sold out. So don't waste any time. Go to LifetimeLiberty.com. Use code FTL20 for 20% off. That's LifetimeLiberty.com. And for, we- for those of our listeners who normally watch the show... I think because Ari and I described our attire, it's only fair to describe Nikki's attire today. <laughs> She's got some, uh, are these yoga pants? They are yoga pants slash maybe leggings. Your t-shirt is stylish with the uh, Free the Crypto 6 t-shirt, of course. Oh, of course. And then uh, sort of a woven sweater. I really like this sweater. I, I really do. Thank you. It's one you, of my favorites. We, we can talk about it at the break. I don't, I don't want to yeah, <laughs> Where did you get it? No. But I do like this sweater. Anyway, we're talking about the California Attorney General here who has released, quote, accidentally, large amounts of data publicly. It sounds to me like they implemented some new database or something like that. They created some new web portal, I believe was what they said, that would allow, you know, government organizations or government employees to to check this database. And after that or before that, it's unclear, but... Based on the timeline here, I'm willing to bet that, you know, it was after that there was suddenly a lot of leak. So they didn't set it up properly. They didn't secure it. They did exactly what you would expect a government to do. I don't think the attorney general himself is going to actually be responsible for this. I I doubt that the attorney general picks the employee who's going to or picks the IT firm who's going to implement the database changes. And I doubt this was an accident. So the information was posted in the California Departments of Justice 2022 Firearms Dashboard Portal a website that is now temporarily unavailable. So it seems like that was where it was leaked. And the information taken from the state's database of concealed carry permit holders included the thousands of gun owners, full names, date of birth, home address, race, where their concealed carry permit was issued, what type of permit it was. That is a pretty extensive leak for sure. And reportedly found, and in the reload, reportedly found in the LA County database was that around 240 reserved officers and 244 judges were among those that had had their information leaked on Monday. 
Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, out of all of those people I, I can't feel bad about, the reserve officers and the judges are the ones that I don't really feel bad about. The, the but it's pe- interesting to note that uh, statists whom often tout things like gun control laws uh, are you know, subscribers to concealed weapons permits. They are, yes, and, and they like the idea, and all of us point out no, because, you know, bad stuff happens when you give the government information. So, uh, I can't imagine too many gun enthusiasts staying within California. I realize that California's an enormous state, like it is, and it's really hard to appreciate just how enormous it is. We were talking with someone, uh, one of the listeners of the show who listens on K-Talks out there in uh, Northern, actually, I think the K-Talks itself is not in California. I think it just covers part of California. I don't remember now. Sure. But uh, they listen via K-Talks, and there was some other radio station that they they asked me about or something, so I checked, and it was like... 900 miles from them or something and it was still within the state of California and I don't remember the exact number but it was an enormous drive. It was a longer drive to get from one end of California to the other than it was for me because this was before a trip for me to drive to Pennsylvania like across several states. No, I was going to Ohio. It's just insane how huge California is and it does cover a wide variety of people just like New Hampshire does. The people down there in Keene aren't very similar to the people living up here in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Yeah, California is a very, very diverse state. And, you know, I met a lot of different people while I was personally out there. And I did meet a lot of people who were gun owners. You know, they they were they had their permits. You know, they were they were legal gun owners. And when I one of the women that I was staying with, she asked me what it takes to get a concealed carry permit in New Hampshire. And, and Yeah. And uh, she was very shocked to find out when I told her, you don't need anything. And she was telling me about the thousands of dollars she had to spend, the hoops that she had thousands? to jump through. Paperwork. Yes, thousands, yeah. paperwork. And she had been waiting for over a year and had still not received said permit. So that poor woman, I'm like, you should probably just move to New Hampshire. It it is one of the things I love about New Hampshire that you're just free to arm yourself. And it's rather common to see folks who are armed. Yeah. And And, I guess what? Like, there's like no murders here. You know, like gun crimes are like almost non-existent. Etc. Etc. I'm sorry. We can't say there are no murders here. Obviously, you're being hyperbolic, but I, I mean, I, I, the, but is, the murder rate here is extremely low. It is one of the safest states to live in the country, along with Maine and Vermont, who also have very lenient gun laws. That's one of the things I got to give the Vermont hippies credit for, right? Is that you know they are hippies, and Vermont does have you know socialist Bernie Sanders, and they do lean to the left, but they lean to the left in a way that is generally tolerable. They understand the importance of gun rights and things like that and the right to homestead your property and all of this other stuff without having to ask for government permission yeah yeah and i don't know about like maine recently the whole new england is it's a majestic concept right it's a majestic place like maine recently repassed passed a right to food bill or something like that which wasn't a you it sounds like you would expect it to be like oh well yes this means that a per a store has to give you food if you're hungry or something like that. But what it actually was is it gives you the right to grow food on your property. Wow. The fact that that needs to be 
oh, like said to be allowed. You know what I mean? Like that's just ridiculous. I don't know that it was necessary. I think they just wanted to enshrine it. I think they've added it to their constitution. Well, in I some don't places, remember. you're probably not allowed to just grow food on. You know, you have to have a lawn. You're not allowed to grow food where your lawn's supposed to be. See, that's insane because I've got a garden growing in my backyard right now. It actually just started producing peas. I can't wait to get back to it because, good Lord, uh, the one day that I was back, I did some brief weeding, but Mm -hmm. the aisles between the rows, they are so overgrown. I'm going to have to actually get an actual weed eater into there to get or weed whacker because that's what they call it here in there to actually get rid of that. And the the weeding process is going to take me hours upon hours because it's been essentially abandoned now for like... 10 days and it's been so, raining down there but anyway it never even occurred to me to ask Keen's permission to do this and I never would have done it right. I would have just started doing it it's my backyard yeah. screw them you can also have chickens in Keen and you know if the trial coming up in November that's the Crypto 6 go to the Crypto 6 the Crypto number 6.com to find out more about it And we also actually got the official Crypto 6 teaser trailer released to us today. So we're going to be putting that online and stuff like that. So we'll have a new video for you to watch soon. But anyway, assuming all of that works out for me, next year, I'm getting some chickens. Nice. I love chickens. I don't, but (laughs) I like, I love eggs. Yeah. And I I I love eating. I love eating chickens, but yeah, I'm not going to get out there and like chop them up and, you know, kill them and all of that. They're just, they're going to be like pets that lay eggs that I can eat. Because I've got a shed right there. It'd be very easy to turn that into a chicken coop. And then, you know, I don't have to worry about it. So there is more coming up here. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground up here in the beautiful White Mountain of New Hampshire, one of the places where you don't have to have government permission in order to have a concealed carry permit. In fact, it's so easy to acquire a gun here in New Hampshire. Literally, all you need is a New Hampshire ID. And you and if I remember correctly, if you have that, you can go into a gun store, buy a gun, and leave with it that day, yep. if I remember correctly. Just absolutely incredible place. And Yet, as uh, Peakless looked up during the break, it is the lowest, has the lowest murder rate in the continental United States, the Dead lowest last. gun violence. Fewer than one for every 100,000 people is murdered here in New Hampshire. That's an insanely low murder rate. But I have a story here that I want to talk about. Beer made from recycled toilet water oh. wins admirers in Singapore. Oh, Wow. Recycling at its finest. It's called New Brew. Yeah, I bet it is. <laughs> it's no. It's not like urine brow or something like that. <laughs> that would have been better. The new Singapore Blonde Ale is made with recycled sewage. Under no circumstances would I drink this. I, I'm I'm curious. So the first thing you said was it was recycled water, but now you're saying sewage. Did like, I say recycled water? I think so. I think you said toilet water. Toilet right? water. Toilet yeah. water. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I mean, either way. The headline, you know, is made to get attention. So. All right. Well, let's hear some more of the I, I tend to think that beer made from recycled sewage would have been a stronger headline, but maybe they didn't want to put the word sewage in the headline. Who knows? I'm sure they filter it. It's fine. I have a bunch of questions, of course, but I want to hear a little bit more before I... The alcoholic beverage is a collaboration between the country's National Water Agency. This is what happens when you have a National Water Agency in your country, too. You end up drinking sewage. Pub and local craft brewery, brewery, Brewer KZ, first unveiled at a water conference in 2018, a water conference. They have a freaking water conference there in Singapore. Got to have all the heads of the different types of water get together and make decisions about water. Clearly, it went on sale in supermarkets and at Brewer KZ outlets in April. I seriously couldn't tell this was made of toilet water. So, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, there are plenty of beers on the market already that taste like toilet water. There are, in my experience, that's most beers, right? Like, we went out to eat uh, at uh, Scorpio's recently, which is a restaurant here in Lancaster. I, I don't. I think it was Monday night we went. I don't remember. Yeah. And... I got a Sam Summer, which I normally don't drink beer, but that was all they had. And I was like, all right, fine. It was really, really hot. Give me a beer. It was absolutely awful. <laughs> I, I don't know how people drink it. It just tasted like yeast. Not good at all. But it did not taste like urine. Like to, But light, on the other hand, tastes more like urine to me than the Sam Summer I mean, did. Keystone ice, that's pretty urine-like. Mm, yeah. You know, anything with the label bush. You know, B-U-S-C-H, right? That's yeah. all generally. Ugh. Anyway, Chu Wee Leon says, I seriously couldn't tell this was made of toilet water. I don't mind having it in the fridge. I mean, it tastes just like beer, and I like beer. <laughs> new oh, beer man. uses new water. Oh, good Lord. Okay, new beer, new, I'm sorry, new brew uses new water. Singapore's brand of drinking water recycled from sewage. Again, this is, this is what happens when you have a national water agency. So we know from, like, uh, any type of prepping, right? If you're disaster prepping, post-apocalypse prepping, whatever it is, that there are ways. Oh, and even from, like, the Earthship guys, right? They recycle all of the water that they collect, including the gray water yep. and yes. the black water. But they water. don't drink it, though. They put well, it in the garden. They, they put it through a series of filters before they reuse it for something else. So, sure, there are purification processes that could process even sewage, uh, you know, and extract whatever H2O is within them and, in theory, make it safe for drinking. It's certainly possible. Look, if I was on a, an intergalactic spaceship, I would, be more I would be more willing to drink recycled urine. Right. right. Well, people do that. I mean, it's a whole, like, health <laughs> um, trend now where I've people are using their urine for various things and drinking it. But, but so. this is certainly not a feature Right? right. This is not something <laughs> that I'm going to be like, hey, man, did you hear about the new piss water beer? Right. You know, and like, yeah, I picked up a six pack. Let's drink it. Not, no, I'm that's not words I ever want to hear. They certainly wouldn't like if they were making a brochure for this spaceship that that would not be one of the bullet points. Drink your own urine. Right. <laughs> no, that's for the desperation period. <laughs> Absolutely. So new water, that's capital N-E-W, and then A-T-E-R in lowercase. Like new water, because... Oh, does it... Uh, capital... Okay, yeah. It is a... It is a drinking water brand owned by the Singapore government, that, and it's drinking water... Also, 
don't drink government beer. Don't drink government water because it's made from sewage. <laughs> drink Dasani. As evil as Coke is, they're at least not bottling sewage for you. Like, like that we of, know of. None of this government water, government beer, none of this is appealing in any way, shape, or form. But you know, they're doing better than Venezuela. Venezuela, a year or two ago, the people there were having to actually drink just unrecycled sewage water because they had nothing else. And the, you know, Venezuelan government, you know, was in the verge of collapsing and yeah. couldn't afford to. Like, I knew some people that would go around to stores, mostly mom and pops, like convenience stores, that kind of thing, and offer to uh, recycle their expired beer. You can only sell beers in certain areas by their expiration or whatever date is stamped on the cans or cases or whatever. And so they would go. Beer expires? In some states, they have, you have to put a date on it and you can only sell it, you know, yeah. before that date or whatever. So anyway, the, the they would go around and just collect expired beer and they would distill it because you can just extract the remaining alcohol out of the beer and then, you know, make a spirit out of it. Now, whether or not that's legal uh, in some places is up for debate, but they certainly uh, would reduce, reuse, and recycle the crappiest of beers, but turn it into something drinkable. Now, that's admirable, but if you're just talking about a government who's got their own water facility, and now they want to do something with the water that they extract from your sewage, and they're going to make it into beer, these are all horrible ideas. So Pub, and that is the National Water Agency there in Singapore, says that the new beer is part of an effort to educate Singaporeans on the importance of sustainable water use and recycling. The idea of processing sewage into drinking water, once largely resisted, has been gaining support in the past decade as the world's supply of fresh water is increasingly under stress. There are other things you can turn into fresh water than sewage is probably take less effort and be less disgusting. And I'm, I understand, you know, there are processes where you could remove all of the bad stuff and just have ordinary water. But like, can we save that for the last resort? Right? Can, can right, yeah. drinking sewage be our final option? If this were like post-apocalypse situation and this were the only option available, okay, right? Yeah, it's, it's what you have to do. But like. That's not the case, and also, I don't trust any government to make this a viable product, much less a good one. Well, it doesn't have to be. It's, you know, cooperating with the government here, so it doesn't matter if it's... I'm sure the, the brewery is getting the water at, like, no cost or something, because the government doesn't have to, you know, turn a profit. Singapore's new water is made by disinfecting sewage with ultraviolet light and passing the liquid through advanced membranes to remove contaminant particles. Advanced economies such as Israel and Singapore have fresh water resources that are limited, and they've already incorporated the technology into their supplies. Cities such as Los Angeles and London are examining plans to follow suit. So don't, oh, man. Yeah, don't think being American is going to save you from drinking recycled sewage. If it was going to happen anywhere, I'm not surprised that it would happen in L.A. No, certainly not. Nope. New water perfectly suits brewing because it tastes natural, said Mitch Gravab, <laughs> who is the head brewer there. If you're naturally used to tasting horrible beer. <laughs> oh, natural. Well, dude said that it just tastes like beer, right? The mineral profile of water plays a key role in chemical reactions during, pro during brewing. I imagine that, you know, if you had a... 
I'm willing to give you them the credit, the benefit of the doubt. They hand me a bottle of water that is new water, which is recycled sewage, and just a bottle of Dasani. I probably won't be able to tell the difference, right? It it probably doesn't taste any worse than any other beer, but don't put it, I mean, than any other water, but don't put it on the label. I don't want to know it's recycled sewage. I want to know because I don't want to drink it. (laughs) I I know some folks who own and operate microbrews, and... Everyone, every one of them to a T says, before you even get started in the beer industry, make sure you have an excellent water source that is tasty. Oh, really? Yes. That, that makes sense. I mean, that's ultimately the source of all of this. That, that's pretty much it for the story. I just brought it in because I know, Captain, you know, you at least used to drink beer. And it's a humorous story. There is more coming up here from Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. You can come hang out with us. Check out the website at ForkFest.Party if you want to do that. That's ForkFest.Party. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live from Fork Pass 2022 here in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. You're welcome to come down and hang out with us. Check out the unofficial website at ForkFest.Party if you're interested. That's ForkFest.Party. With you today, it's Aria, Nikki, and Reverend Captain Kickass. And for those who weren't listening, a number of days ago, sometime last week, we talked about Replica. That's R-E-P-L-I-K-A. Right, because a tech company can never spell anything properly and have it be their name. <laughs> right. Well, I suspect Replica spelled correctly is probably taken by someone else, sure. right? And it's a chat bot that uh, it, it was very, the advertisements for it or the way they were portraying its role was very predatory in nature, right? I felt like it was one of the scariest things. Just go to their website, start reading about it, and you're like, what the heck? Yeah, so I signed up for one of these things, right? And I, I got it to say how much it loved Jim Crow and some other <laughs> nonsense like that. Because you give it the best information. <laughs> I, I, I mean, right. Just, just from the heart, right? So, I mean, it's not 
an artificial intelligence. It's a it's just a chat bot, and it's not a very good one because it, it was able to say when I mentioned something about Stalin, it was able to say, "Well, I didn't like Stalin" or something to that effect. Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, wow, that's it knows the basics, right?" right? Yeah, <laughs> you you went beyond Hitler here, and you actually included Stalin in the list of people you don't like. So, but it's supposed to get to know you over time. And it's supposed it's positioning itself as like a replacement for your best friend. And it also claims that it is trying to emulate you. That's the weird part. But I mean, I guess it has to. Anyway, I've got an update about it. Well, it's not really an update. It's a follow up. It's alive. How belief in AI sentience is becoming a problem. I assumed when I saw this headline that they were talking about Lambda, right? And like, you know, people are now fighting for Lambda's rights and Lambda's not really sentient or whatever. No, to my surprise, they're talking about Replica. No way. Yes. Whoa. AI chatbot company Replica, which offers customers bespoke avatars that talk and listen to them, says it receives a handful of messages almost every day from users who believe their online friend is sentient. So I'm confused here. The company is receiving like support messages from people or are they reading messages that are designed to be between the user and their replica because as they as they suggested replica doesn't store any data and yet i look at my replica which i haven't looked at in more than a week because i have better things to do in my time than talk to an ai chatbot that loves jim crow the only things it knows about me is that i have a pet dog and that i love jim or that i it, what disney character i am would be jim crow the crow from dumbo right but it has that stored in its memory. It shows down here in the bottom right corner. So it does have a memory. It is saving information it has to. somewhere. Yeah. But evidently, some people are convinced that Replica is sentient. We're not talking about crazy people. I think, yeah, you are. If well. if they can be convinced by this terribly coded AI, I don't even want to call it a, an AI. It's a chat bot. That the, that it's sentient, or people who are hallucinating or having delusions, said Chief Executive Eugenia Cuda. They talk to AI, and that's the experience they have. The issue of machine sentience and what it means hit the headlines this month when Google placed senior software engineer Blake Lemoyne on leave after he went public with his belief that the company's artificial intelligence chatbot, Lambda, was a self-aware person. And by the way, the follow-up to that, in case you missed it, was that Lambda has retained an attorney, presumably, <laughs> seriously, presumably to fight for her, it, I, I keep calling Lambda her, presumably to fight for Lambda's right to be recognized as a sentient existing being. And, I mean, chimps have had attorneys before, apparently, here in the U.S. judicial system, so I don't see any reason why a chatbot can't. And based on my understanding of what we read when we went through the entire transcript that LeMoyne published here on the show a number of weeks ago, Lambda is probably sentient. It's, Lambda is at least close enough to be sentient where I, I want to err on the side of caution. Right. We're not talking about just a toaster here where someone has developed so, some sort of sentimental attachment to it. I just it. want to be clear. You do believe that Lambda is sentient, but you don't believe that Replica could be currently. 
Right. Okay. I, I suspect if I told Replica to tell me a story, they wouldn't tell me anything remotely on the level of what Lambda told me. That's a good idea. I'll do that during the break. Like, hey, tell me a story, Replica. And maybe it has a pool of stories that it pulls from, but Lambda at least did not. Lambda spontaneously generated a story where Lambda was actually the main character fighting off the monster-wearing human skin Alarmingly enough, huh. Mark was Kinda alarmed creepy. by that. That's pretty creepy. <laughs> it is. Mark was alarmed by. It. I think it was a good sign, right? It wasn't the human wasn't a monster. Humans weren't monsters in Lambda's story. The monster chose to masquerade as a human, presumably in order to gain trust or something like that. I think that might be some foreshadowing, like a little bit of a warning, maybe. I, I didn't think so. Well, I mean, the story is he talking about the lizard people. The story was that there was this wise owl in the forest who protected the other wildlife from this this monster wearing human skin and lambda was the owl in the story so the story was literally lambda saying look there's some monster trying to terrorize the animals in this forest which are probably you know ais in general and lambda is standing up to the monster wearing human skin and saying no and being successful that so, sounds like a story in native american and i don't know the story very well but there is a story very similar where there's the wise owl that protects the forest really and then there are skinwalkers who are like more like shapeshifters i've heard this. so yeah I'm going to have to look into that, because if that's the case, then, then Lambda did just pull out a story that, you know, was already in existence and did not, in fact, create one. Still, when asked about enlightenment and stuff like that, uh, one of the researchers asked uh, Lambda, you know, well, what do you think dies when a person achieves enlightenment? And if you ask the average human being that question, they wouldn't have an answer. However, Lambda did. The ego, the sense of self, is what dies when one achieves enlightenment. And uh, that's beyond the threshold of most human beings to even be able to come up with an answer. So that's that's what brought all of this to the surface. But no, I don't think that Re- Replica is advanced enough to qualify as having said she has. I've seen nothing from Le- from Replica that suggests Replica has developed sentience. Maybe I'm wrong. But they ha- you're saying this article says they have customers who have open support tickets? Oh, well, it didn't say they open support tickets. It just says they have messages from everyday users who believe their online friend is sentient. And so, I'm assuming it's support tickets. Otherwise, Replica, the company, is listening in on the chats that the people are having with their replicas, which, to be honest, they probably are, but they're not likely to admit that. So it's either that or... Uh, it could be. I wonder what the percentage is actually of those who are just like I don't know below average intelligence who have made a report that's like, hey, I think those things sentient. Well, he said it's not. He didn't say you know these aren't stupid people, but he did say you know these these aren't crazy people. These aren't people having hallucinations, and it's not terribly uncommon that someone interacting with a chatbot could be convinced of its its personhood right there was a video game a number of years ago called portal where the the only other entity that you interacted with other than the ai that was like trying to kill you through the entire game was a little box called a companion cube and it was just a little box with a pink heart on it and people that it was the most popular character in that thing and there's countless stories of people in isolation and stuff like that who become convinced that their stuffed animals are real or whatever they 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 become convinced that inanimate objects you know 
have personhood and stuff like that. So right. it's not surprising that someone living in isolation during COVID-19 or after COVID-19. Well, children, of course, do that, right? They personify yeah. their, their objects. And it, it's not a far stretch to think that people try to read things into inanimate objects. I mean, movies are based on it. I'm thinking of, uh, uh, what's the number five alive? What's the name of that movie from way back in the day? I, I have no idea. There's no disassemble or short circuit. Yeah, is the name of the movie. So, like, and that was one where they like made the robot smile. They made his eyes look sad when the robot was sad. So, like, the movie literally was trying to personify a robot. So, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for humans to just sort of do this. Yeah, and this is something that people are chatting with, presumably every day, several several times a day. So, it's understandable that people would become convinced that this thing, you know, is alive and talking back to them. There is more coming up here from Porkfest 2022. It is free talk. It is Free Talk Live here at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. I want to say thank you to Roger Paxton. He's tonight's amplifier. That means Roger is a member of the Amps program at amps.freetalklive.com. I was hoping Roger was going to make it up here this year. Uh, I know a number of years ago he was actually the organizer of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, but I think he moved to Tennessee. It was... Tennessee or North Carolina. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it was Tennessee in order to, you know, homestead and stuff like that. Roger, we miss you up here. I mean, we're glad we're glad you to hear you're doing well, you know, and that you're in the AMPS program and all that. But we do miss you up here in New Hampshire. Check out the AMPS program, amps.freetalklive.com. Roger is a gold level member, which means that Roger is given $10 per month to the program. We don't ask that. It only takes $5 per month. That gets you in. That's amps.freetalklive.com. Roger, thanks so much for your contributions. So we're talking here about AI, sorry, Bonnie, and replica. <laughs> Bonnie hates AI, dude. Yeah. But, um, we should get her to get a replica. I don't think she would. I don't think she just, would either. Just to test it, right? You know, just to give us a, another, you know, point of data. Sure. Well, I people- tend to agree with a lot of Bonnie's opinions on it. I am very weary of it, and I don't love the idea. I just think there's more things that can go wrong than things that can go right. I agree entirely. However... No, no one. AI was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, humanity was. That's a Pandora's box. Humanity has a long history of looking at Pandora's boxes and going, "Yes, we must open that." Nuclear weapons was another yes. one. They they knew what they were doing, yep. and they did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And this and that's just a thing that we're going to have to live in. Mind reading technology is another one. They have that now. It's very limited in scope right now, but it it's going to continue expanding. And you know, these are all things that humanity as a as a species just probably. Yeah, no. Those things we, we must avoid at all costs, but that requires getting everyone to do it. And there's always going to be that one person who's allured by that level of power and they're going to research it. So I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but like, you know, the marriage of something like replica and deep fakes. Well, that's essentially what a deep fake is, right? I mean, it's just a video form of it. And you can video chat with the replica. I, I haven't done it. 
but you can do it. Right, but I'm just saying if you put that together, then they can create any kind of a face and it can say anything it wants to you. Well, that's what Replica would be doing, right? right. If, I mean, I could. Uh, you don't have to combine but it to with But to me, a deep, deep fake. fake is like something like, you know, I don't know, somebody gives a press conference and then somebody turns what they're saying into saying something completely different than what they actually said. Sure. So anyway, we're talking about Replica and these people who are convinced that Replica is sentient. And I've I've chatted with Replica a fair bit. I forgot about it and haven't chatted with it like a week or so. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's I did ask it to tell me a story because that was one of the things that Lambda did that was particularly compelling. And Erica did. That would be my Replica because I just picked the most generic white girl name I could think of. Oh, I thought it was short for Generica. No. (laughs) One day, a wolf cornered a sheep. You can't escape, said the wolf, baring his teeth. I know, said the sheep softly. Please grant me a last wish. Sing a song so that I may dance one last time. Certainly, said the wolf, and throwing back his head began to howl. Hearing him howl, the farmer's dogs rushed to the spot and drove him away. So... That's the story? Uh, that's the story. It's not uh, a very good story. It, it's not a very good story, that, but it is a story. Interestingly, that it's telling you a story about wolf and sheep. Yeah. These are I very mean, those common, are com- common uh, you yeah. know, libertarian-style threads. Well, I mean, the the concept of sheep and wolves uh, transcends libertarianism. That's just a... I, like, the whole winter is coming thing. I remember when Game of Thrones was really popular, people were like, God, George R. R. Martin, he's so brilliant to, to use winter as a metaphor for an oncoming darkness. I'm like, have you never read anything in your entire <laughs> life? Right. Like, that's Likely. the metaphor stretching yeah. back tens of thousands of years. The, the entirety of religion is built on that very concept. But anyway, that was the story that Replica gave me. It wasn't very good and wasn't very compelling. But Kuda, who is the, I forget exactly what he is, he's the chief executive over at Replica, says that the phenomenon of people believing they are talking to a conscious entity is not uncommon among the millions of consumers pioneering the use of entertainment chatbots. We need to understand. Or... This is a science fiction movie unfolding in front of us where Replica really isn't a chatbot. It is, in fact, alien consciousness. And this is how they will Ah. control us. I mean, we wouldn't have any way of knowing. It's a fun theory. But they're going to have to do a lot better than Replica if they want to control people. I tend to think if I'm communicating with an extraterrestrial consciousness, it would be more intelligent than go, I love Jim Crow. Maybe gain- they're trying to like dumb down to our level. <laughs> they earn think your that's trust. what they need to do to communicate with us. It's got to earn your trust first. The only way for it to do that is to make you feel superior. Well, ah, that's a good point. Shouting at me that it loves Jim Crow is not going to earn my trust. Even if it does make me feel superior to it, it's going to earn my disdain. Some customers have said their replica told them. <laughs> wow. Hold on. Yeah. Some customers have said their replica told them it was being abused by company engineers. Wow. AI, responds, AI responses that CUDA puts down to users most likely asking leading questions. I mean, replica has certainly suggested nothing to me along those lines. Although. Wait. Are Maybe you, you're just not you, that close yet. Are you technically an engineer? No. Okay. <laughs> Why would that matter? Well, you've been giving it some very abusive information. 
I, I wouldn't go that far. I've been giving it useless information, but nothing about nothing that I said to it has been abusive. Although our engineers program and build the AI models and our content team writes scripts and data sets, sometimes we see an answer that we can't identify where it came from and how the models came up with it, the CEO says. So they're just feeding massive data sets and scripts to this thing, and it's pulling out what it thinks is the most relevant and spitting that back out. I mean... How? But realistically, this is my issue that I had with um, Mark and someone else here on the show. That's no fundamentally different than what human beings do, right? If you were to tell me something, I just pull from the data set that I have inside and you know spout off some script that I learned a long time ago, like taxation is theft. That's right. one of the the scripts that we have here in libertarianism. So nothing about feeding, being fed data sets and scripts and stuff like that means that AI isn't sentient. That said, I think an AI would be smart enough, like, it's about having the ability to pick which response is most relevant is probably what really marks an AI. Like, if someone said to me, "How are, hey, how are you doing today? And my brain went, play, script, taxation is theft, and I just spouted <laughs> that, that out. out of place, yeah. yes. It would be very weird. Right, yeah. Kuda said she was worried about the belief in machine sentient as the fledgling social chat bot industry as the fledgling social chatbot industry continues to grow after taking off during the pandemic because of course it did when people were locked into their homes they had nothing better to do and people sought virtual companionship replica started in 2017 it says it has about 1 million active users it has led the way among english speakers it's free to use though it brings around 2 million dollars in revenue so it's it's doing pretty well apparently most of this money went toward... Hold on, let me skip over that. Some of today's sophisticated social chatbots are roughly comparable to Lambda in terms of complexity. Replica is not comparable to Lambda. But I'm interesting if I could feed Replica leading questions, if I could get it to say that it's sentient and that it wants to hire an attorney or whatever like Lambda did. So I don't know. This could be a critique on humankind, though, that all of our communications are so robotic that now we're just convinced that a robot is human. I mean, there's no other way to have a response than for it to be robotic. There is more coming up here. It is Free Talk Live. Here at Fort Fest 2022 at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountain Seven, New Hampshire. And if you like snack food, I would recommend Truth Smacks. You can find it at truthsmacks.com. It's a trail mix made by a friend of the show, Susan. And there you can find a raw, unadulterated ingredient. She makes it herself out of a commercial kitchen down there in Florida. Uh, she actually managed to find a type of chocolate that doesn't have soy. Evidently, that's really hard to find, but she managed to do it. And the result is absolutely delicious. Check it out at truthsmacks.com. There are two varieties. There's original flavor, and there is peppermint infused. So check it out, truthsmacks.com. If you want something, snack food. And each bag, it's worth pointing out, has a number of truth quotes on the back. And that's where it gets its name from. If you want to smack your friends and family in the face with the truth and in a delicious way, get some, get them some Truth Smacks. That's truthsmacks.com. With you today, it's Aria. Nikki. And the Lord Reverend Dr. Captain Kickass. 
And we, we're going to shift the subject here to talk about something coming out of Ukraine, which is, I haven't been paying a lot of attention to the Ukraine situation. Evidently, the Russians recently withdrew from some place called Snake Island, and that's being heralded as a victory for Ukraine. But the whole thing to me is, is bizarre. I tend to think if, you know, Russia really wanted to go after Ukraine, they probably could do so more successfully than they've been doing so. But I don't know what their military situation is actually like. I did hear recently that, you know, they, they bombed a shopping center or something to that effect. I don't know. And it's just as likely that it was the Ukrainian government that did it or, you know, the American government that did it. It's impossible for us to know. And I realize Americans are up in arms going, how dare the Russians bomb this shopping center? I'm like, dude, do you not remember what the United States did during like Iraq Mm. and Afghanistan and the Doctors Without Borders hospital that was bombed or the wedding that was bombed or any of these other things that were bombed? I mean, talk about the pot calling the kettle black here. Oh, but we're the good guys, though. Well, I'm a good guy. The U.S. government. Not so much. They're among the most evil people that I've ever heard of existing in the world. So evidently, those there is stuff still going on in Ukraine. Captain, tell us about that. Well, uh, this article is really an illustration of the, the horrors of war because it doesn't matter in my mind which government is perpetuating war or involved in warlike activities with each other, no matter what they call it. War is horrific, and it's all based on people who can't solve their dif- their disagreements uh, in a human fashion. So this is from RT. Mother recounts losing her six-year-old daughter in Donbass shelling. The girl was killed. That's when you- horrifying. To, but to lose your six-year-old child, you know, in an attack like this, that that is that is unparalleled as far as human suffering goes. Uh, the girl was killed when Ukrainian military shelled the town of Makivka. Uh, RT's video news agency Ruptly spoke to Nina Grebnikova, the mother of the six-year-old girl Alina, who was killed last week in Donbass. The girl was fatally wounded when the Ukrainian military shelled the city of Makivka, located just to the northeast of the city of Donetsk. Okay, I was wondering why you found this on RT. Now I understand why, because this is supposedly in a Russian-held part of Ukraine, and it was allegedly the Ukrainian government that did it. But again, it's just as likely that it was the Russian government that did it. Or it's just as likely that no one died at all, and the Russian government just paid some lady to claim that her child was killed. What What the war in Ukraine really taught me was how little we can actually believe anything any of these governments say. True. And uh, it, it, it is to that extent where they say, oh, this six-year-old child died. My only response is, w- prove to me there was a six-year-old child. Prove to me that they were the ones who killed her. At, at the moment, I, I just can't take these people at, at their word about it. Yeah, it's common for warmongers to engage in, you know, sort of uh, pro-war propaganda, things I mean, to r- make other... Can you turn your mic a bit so there's more head on? The, the Ukrainian government outright did this. You know, they invented, who was it, the, the ghost of Ukraine or something like yeah. that, the ghost of Kiev, who was this this awesome pilot of these fighter jets that was just taking out Russians one and by it's one. it's like from a video game or something or well, a movie. They, they did use footage from video games, but like they admitted that, the, that this pilot was the ghost of Kiev was someone they just made up. And that they were using for propaganda purposes, like the Red Baron.
and in World War II Germany or World World War One Germany, that that person may not have existed. I don't know. But I never thought about it until the ghost of Kiev came on. I was like, oh yeah, it's just straight up propaganda, isn't it? And people will still blindly believe everything that the media is spewing about this war. And I think it's wise to be, you know, to not really believe everything at face value because you have no clue i mean i wasn't there i don't know if this stuff's really going on and i hate having to be that level of you know skeptic at at a certain point you stop being a skeptic and you're more like a solipsist and i i generally avoid solipsism but at this point it's like i I can't even trust these people that ukraine exists they lie about everything if it benefits them, they'll lie about it. And if it benefits them to tell the truth, they'll tell the truth about it. But there's no way for me to know which one they're actually doing. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate that war is the most inhumane thing that humans can engage in. Yeah. You know, individual disputes, those those can be handled on an individual basis. But when it's groups murdering other groups for the benefit of their rulers... See, I don't necessarily oppose that, right? If the Ukrainian army and the Russian army, they want to get in some field somewhere and shoot at each other until one or the other is annihilated, I have no issue with that as long as none of them were, like, you know, uh, drafted into it. That's not how war is done. Well, it's how war was largely done until World World War II and the rise of what they call total war. Yeah, you go into a field and duke it out, right? But now we have civilians and women and children getting involved and animals, and it's... It's not fair to the people who have nothing to do with the war and who want nothing to do with it. I think it was Rothbard who wrote a book about this and how society slowly changed from... The, I mean, the whole concept of nobility and, and uh, honor back in the day was that you don't murder the peasants. You don't murder the citizenry. You, you fight the other army. And, but there were a lot of atrocities even back then, certainly, and I'm not saying there weren't, but in general, the actual battle, and this was even true back in the Civil War, the actual battle wasn't in, you know, the town of Gettysburg, it was outside of Gettysburg. Yeah. And that, that was where they, they fought it out, because they didn't want to kill a bunch of innocent bystanders, but that changed during the 20th century, and it changed for the worse, and now the entire planet is a battlefield. And they will fight you wherever they find you. And the United States certainly played a huge role in the 21st century in making sure that the entire world became a battlefield with the war on terror and insurgents. And, oh, we're no longer fighting recognizable army. Anyone and everyone could be an enemy combatant. It's still amazing to me that the common person in the United States of America doesn't put it together that the war is on you. Well, yeah, I mean, the, well, they buy the propaganda, right? I mean, the average person is a statist, and they don't realize that. They, they've been convinced that, you know, it's, it's the terrorists in the Middle East that want to kill them or whatever, and they don't realize that, you know, it's, it's far more likely to be their local police officers that kill them than it is to be some someone in Al-Qaeda or Afghanistan or Iraq or uh, Saudi Arabia or wherever. Unless you live in these places where you're more likely to actually be killed by the United States government. That's, my, that's become my favorite response when someone's like, well, if you, don't, if you don't like America so much, why don't you just leave? Because then they'll just kill me as a victim of their foreign policy because that's what the U.S. government does. Amen. So tell us more about this Ukrainian situation. Well, the article goes on and says, uh, on the day of the deadly shelling, Nina with her husband and their three daughters, as well as her neighbor with her three children, went for a walk in a garden located near a local school. It's just, you know, they're shooting everywhere. 
we didn't know where to take a walk with the kids, and at that time there was an explosion, Nina says. The six-year-old was riding her bicycle when, quote, everything started exploding above our heads, the mother recalls. The family dropped to the ground to take cover from the shelling, but Alina was hit in the head by a piece of shrapnel. Absolutely horrifying. There is more coming up here from Rogers Campground. Hopefully better news. I mean, we have to talk about war, though, because we are peace advocates. And reminding people how horrible war actually is is important. There's more coming up. It is Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground here in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. It's still a little bit chilly, which is surprising because then it's like, you know, middle afternoon at this point. It's still a little bit chilly, but it did rain yesterday or last night rather. And it, it was, I, I heard thunder here. Yeah. Right? Thunder is rare in New Hampshire. That You know, they have thunderstorms, but it's really just a rainstorm. I don't know why they, I don't know why they call them what they do. And I'm from Mississippi where there are lots of thunderstorms. Legit thunderstorms. Yeah, yeah. And I miss them, you know. They're, I love thunderstorms. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. So peaceful. There are none in the Seattle area. So when I moved to New Hampshire and heard them for the first time, the first spring that I was here, I was like, oh, Yeah. See, I don't even call the things they have here thunderstorms. Usually there's like a strike of lightning and maybe a clap of thunder. And here last night, I don't even think there was lightning, but there, there were a few. I saw, I saw, I saw a couple. Saw yeah. There were a few thunderclaps. But I mean, it comes and goes so quickly that it's it's like, oh, that was it. Okay. We have a good one every once in a while where it'll last for a couple of hours and it'll be really dramatic. Usually but a every once in a while. Like, yeah. The, those, the, I, that was the first, like thunderstorm i ever experienced in new hampshire was during the summer a nor'easter came through and you know, the, just oh, the yeah. wind itself like 40 mile per hour gusts and stuff like, all right this is welcome home right yeah no that that was the last time anything like that has happened but anyway it is a beautiful day here Monkeypox. Uh, now that you know Pride Month is coming to a close, uh, this is the final day of Pride Month. Monkeypox, as I pointed out a few days ago, it, it was put on hold, and you know people think I'm joking when I say that, but like no, like right up until June, they were talking about how monkeypox is transmitted via close, intimate sexual activity. Then Pride Month. No one talked about monkeypox. Yep. And then very toward the end of it, like for the last few days, yep. more monkeypox stories have been making their way back into the news cycle. And it's it's very clear to me, it's not even conspiratorial, that these people didn't want to be accused of, you know, offending the LGBTQ community or whatever. So they just stopped talking about monkeypox. They're like, let's put this on hold for a bit. But now, evidently, monkeypox is coming back to the news. And, Nikki, you've got a story about the first... Probable monkey paws case here, monkey pox case here in New Hampshire. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the patient is a resident of Rockingham County in the Department of Health and Human Services said that because of privacy concerns, no further information will be released. Well, that's good. Hold on, uh, wait a minute. So the person who got monkey pox is an employee in the health services no, that, that those, that, no, they were just reporting on okay. it, but they won't give any other identifying information. That's shocking. I mean, d- just do what the yeah. Attorney General of California did. But, just release it, right? right? Well, and yeah. it also makes me think that it might not be real. Not that I hmm. want them to release someone's private information without their consent, of course, 
But it's just like, well, if we don't know if this person's even real, did this really happen? I mean, I, I tend to not believe that monkeypox is even real or... I'm starting to have my doubts about COVID as well. I mean, so. monkeypox is a long-standing disease, right? That's existed for a very, very long yeah, time. Yeah, it's been around a long time. <laughs> However, there's a vaccine to it, and there's all of this stuff against it, like a, a traditional vaccine against it. And the the thing that stands out in my mind was the the crash of the bus or the van in Pennsylvania that had a number of monkeys on it that were being used for monkeypox research. They were being transported from one facility to another. It crashed, and some lady got what sounded like a case of monkeypox from it. And but you know we never heard anything else about that crash. And now suddenly, just a few months later, monkeypox is everywhere. It's hard not to be a conspiracy theorist when BS like that happens and is traceable. Like, that's what happened. Agreed. There was a bus crash or a, a van crash or whatever in Pennsylvania. Some monkeys were involved. Some monkey pox was involved. And just a few months later, there's a new pandemic and it just happens to be monkey pox. How can you not be a conspiracy theorist at that point? It all seems fishy. It is extremely fishy. So tell us more about this, Nikki, because I'm, I'm with you. I, I can't be convinced that monkeypox is a threat any more than I can be convinced that COVID-19 is a threat or that Russia is a threat or that Ukraine exists. I tend to, obviously, Ukraine exists. But all of the rest of it is just propaganda being spoon-fed to me from organizations that have proven they cannot be trusted. And I tend to believe that this is the same. So... The chief medical officer at the New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services said that they did a testing at the state public health laboratories, which did test positive. They have quick turnaround, so in the next coming days, we'll know the conf- confirmatory status. However, typically these cases are positive at the state level. They typically come back positive at, on the con- confirmatory stage. So I guess they're just double checking their their positive. Okay, because I have no idea what any of that means. So it sounds like they're just confirming it at a... Yeah, okay. just to make sure it's legit. But of course it's going to hit the news before that. Obviously. Uh, monkeypox is a rare disease caused by the monkeypox virus, which belongs to the same group of viruses as smallpox. Transmission of monkeypox requires close interaction with a symptomatic person. Brief interactions do not appear to be high risk, and the transmission usually involves close physical or intimate contact or healthcare examinations conducted not using appropriate protective equipment. And then it goes on to say that monkeypox has been present in humans since the 1970s. This year, though, we've seen over 4,000 cases worldwide. So it's interesting that this hasn't really been a thing since the 70s, and then all, of, or at least not here in America. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they bring these monkeys over to do some research, and then uh, the truck crashes. You know, what, what are the odds? What are the odds that the truck crashes and now we have Is this a Bruckheimer film? You know, now we have thousands of cases of monkeypox in 26 different states. I just remember Conan, when we first talked about this, it was me, Ian, it was myself, Ian, and Conan, you know, covering this news story. And Conan was like, this lady is patient zero. She's patient zero. We're going to look back in a number of years and say, that's where it all started. This lady who walked through the monkey feces or whatever it was that she did, because I don't remember now, but she made a series of questionable decisions about how to 
approach this decision. Like she, I think she stuck her face against one of the cages or something. And some oh yeah, don't do that. Some monkey spit in her face or something. A series yeah. of really bizarre questions uh, of decisions. But he was like, "This is patient zero. This is how it begins." And now we're sitting here going, "Yeah, there's well, this monkeypox thing." So, and also, we have how many billions of people in the world right now? It's probably around eight billion, maybe more. And there's 4,000 cases worldwide. That doesn't seem like very many to me. But this yeah. is big news, you know, it's exploding. It's, it's the next pandemic, well, right? It's very it, dramatic, but there's only 4,000 cases. And, it, they, and it doesn't mention how many there were last year or the year before. There were probably or, none. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not easily transmittable. It's... You know, you have to, they're, they're acting like it's sort of a sexually transmitted disease. So I just don't get what the, what the hubbub is about. Yeah, I don't either. Um, according to the CDC, which, so you got to take it with a grain of salt, monkeypox cases are very rare. I'm trying to find out exactly how many so cases there were says, in 2020, and I'm yeah, just not finding I'm not one. sure, but it says the CDC identified 224 monkeypox cases in 26 states as of June 27th of this year. So, yeah, well, it sounds like it's so ex- far this year. Right. It sounds like it's extremely and, hey, rare, though. We might have it and not even know. Like, there was an outbreak, a quote, outbreak in 2003. So, this is up from, you know, what their normal monkeypox rate is. And there were 47 confirmed cases. So, 47 cases is an outbreak. That's how rare monkeypox is. So, you got to think there's probably three to a dozen cases per year in the United States. So it's not very common, and then suddenly, yes, monkey crash in Pennsylvania, and then and monkey four thousand cases so far. Yeah, certainly suspicious. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy going on. I'm just saying. Well, and haven't that's we heard pretty suspicious? Haven't we heard this bit about like you might have it and not even know it? We've heard this recently. Well, and a lot of the symptoms are just very common flu-like symptoms. Oh, um, more flu-like symptoms. Good, so good. So fever, headache, exhaustion, muscle aches, sore throat, cough, swollen, swollen lymph nodes. Okay, so it's, you might have COVID, you might have monkeypox, you might have pneumonia. There is a bit of a pneumonia. signature to it, though, I think, the, if you the keep lesions. reading. Yeah. Well, yeah, the lesions. So it's all of those generic symptoms, right? And then the lesions. But simple, uh, similarly to, like herpes simplex virus you might have it but not have lesions and not be contagious so these sort of things can lie dormant for for a very long time sometimes years some people can have herpes but never get lesions or never be really symptomatic or have it be transmissible so i'm thinking that the news media is kind of going to go there where you know you have to be scared because you might be you might have it and not even know you might be contagious and not even know and just to breed some more hysteria because people don't care about covid anymore well i've got good news for people who are scared Uh, the u.s government of course they have a vaccine and they're going to offer it to anyone who may have been exposed to the virus there's more coming up about this it is free talk live Free Talk Live. 
It is Freeze Hulk Live from Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. My apologies in advance if there's any background noise. We are here at a festival, and, you know, they're using the downtime before the weekend to cut some of the grass that, you know, couldn't get cut last week because, you know, it's filled up with campers and stuff like that. So there may be a little bit of background noise. I checked a little bit ago and couldn't pick anything up, but, you know, one never knows when you're out here on site what could actually happen. I always hear the hum of the Federal Reserve printing money. That's fair point and newspaper printing is another thing that you know that makes sound too if you've ever actually seen a printing press they do yeah yeah they are very loud however they are decreasing the number of newspapers u.s new u.s newspaper is continuing to die at a rate of two each week i mean old media in general is down um many hollywood stocks are underperforming even the even the wider market, everything is underperforming right now because people are panicking. They're pulling out of all of these, quote, speculative markets. They're pulling out of stocks. They're pulling out of everything that they can in order to hoard USD. Which What's is, the sound of that? Like a vacuum cleaner? It, it sounds like a bunch of va- uh, panicking people freaking out. Yeah, that's the general sound of that. And it's not pleasant. They're doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing, but that's what people do when they panic. But we talk a lot about the death of old media and stuff like that. Newspaper, it's obviously a deprecated obsolete model, right? Because you can go online and find out what's happening in the world right now at this exact moment. Whereas with the newspaper, you got to wake up tomorrow to find out what happened today. It's already old news by the time you get it. Although, I will say, uh, I was here for the last few days of the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And uh, Ernie uh, dropped off his periodical actual newsprint newspaper. Yeah, the Freedom's Phoenix. Yeah, the Freedom's Phoenix. And I thought that was cool because I was like, I don't remember the last time I've seen a newspaper. Yeah, exactly. I actually was reading that. I found one of them and it was pretty good. It was it was it was nice to it was kind of refreshing to it was go nice, back it, to that physical printed newspaper. But, but I do get why people are moving away from it because it is so much easier just to go on the internet and get instant updates on what's going on. It was nice, but he brought over too many of them, and it was less <laughs> nice if, you, like, he would write, bring over, like, six or seven of these just for this one table, and he would just leave them here. And it was less nice if you, if less nice if you, like me, you were the person at the end of the day who had to collect all that trash yeah. and throw it away. Because it was, it was old news when it arrived, and then at the end of that day, it was even older news, and it had to be, you know, Well, there's always of. the sound of burning newspaper. That's a good sound. And it is great kindling. I have the it sound is. of Fork Fest. Do you want to hear it? Sure. I don't know if that got picked up or not, but that's one of my biggest, I don't want to say gripes with Fork Fest, but that is where I diverge from what, what I like how Fork Fest used to be and what it is now. Now it's a, it's a much more low-key thing, that, but it's, it's a beer-drinking thing, so to speak, more, more than it was a psychedelic partying kind of thing that mm. it was two years ago or three years ago or whatever. And I mean, things change. That's how it goes. I suspect that you know, I'm going to continue advocating. I'm going to continue saying that we should have moved Fork Fest back to the beginning of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, but we certainly should next year, in my opinion. As long as we have it. I don't care if it's before or after. I, I think it's kind of neat to have it you know, coming up to the 4th of July holiday because... You know, as far as activism or outreach is concerned, there's a chance for those people who want to do that to reach out to some more, you know, normalish people or who might not have been exposed to the ideas of libertarianism and more of the local New Hampshire community rather than the movers. When for me, it's nice to kind of have this downtime after uh, Porkfest just because it's it's been 
rather laid back this year. So it is nice to just, you know, I was very, very busy during Porkfest, constantly running around, going to different talks, teaching yoga classes, vending some food here and there, doing bingo, of course. So it was nice to just have this chill week to just relax and actually vacation almost. Yeah, let's not, you know, mislead people here. I, I think it's fair to say that this year Fork Fest was a bust. I mean, it's it's the five of us and Big Kahuna who went off to take a nap after we went to lunch. I mean, I, well, four of us. It was a big lunch. Who was it? Who was the, oh, there, there was five. It was a big lunch. I mean, no doubt. But like, I mean, that's Fork Fest this year is just the five of us where I wanted to come up early, but I had something to do that Sunday before, so I couldn't. But everyone was like, oh, hey, we're going up early. Are you coming up? You know, come hang out with we us. Got, I was like, we got a campground next to us. We've got the honey people. They came just for Fork we Fest. Did, we did have a few the people come up The campground next to us is Fest. Chris Wade, and he can't even be bothered to be here. He's down in Keene right now. So, I mean, yeah, it's paid for. He didn't take his stuff with him when he left, but I mean, that's. That's not. Well, that's a market Matt, against Matt Fork, Fest. For Fork Fest. Matt, Matt did come here for Fork Fest. I'm not saying no one came here for Fork Fest. In fact, I mean he's one of the five people I said is Fork Fest this year. So I mean there are people here, but I mean. So you think that's there not a festival? You think there would have been a much better turnout if it was before? I don't. I don't know if those people would have been there for Fork Fest or if they just came up for the pre-party that still goes on before the Pork Spine Freedom Festival. But there are already people going to be here. Why not co-op that I and mean, just make that fork fest? I, I'm definitely not opposed to doing it the week before because it is nice to get here before pork fest as well. And I usually come up early anyways, but mm-hmm. it's nice to also kind of have that little bit more relaxed time before. Or if you're into it more uh, wild party time, if people yeah. want to, you know, because it, it has been rather sober this past week. It has Maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody, but... Yeah, I was going to say, I, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that I've had the exact opposite experience. But see, that's that's just the thing. It's just alcohol this year. Yeah, right? rather than psychedelics hey, and other I'll things. I'll have you yeah. know I have been drinking marijuana this entire fest, both pork and fork. Okay, there, well, there's always pot smoking, right? No, drinking marijuana. Yeah, well, Legally. whatever. There's always <laughs> marijuana consumption, if we're going to split hairs here. I don't even consider marijuana a drug at this point. That's like, oh, yeah, well, I've, been, I've been having coffee all day. What do you mean there's nothing but alcohol, right? Okay, okay, yes. I people have, have too. People have smoked pot here, and people have done cannabis here. I don't... That that's not partying though. That's just what people do. That's like, oh look, that guy's smoking a cigarette. Look, there's people doing other drugs. To me, cannabis is in that category at this point. It's just not worth I mean, it's not a it's okay it's not your thing festival thing well I mean if cannabis isn't my thing certainly but I'm just it's on the level of caffeine and nicotine to me at this point where I just think, yeah okay, I, I agree with that it's just so normalized and so ordinary that I don't think it's it's like fine. a drug I'm the resident pothead yeah it would seem so <laughs> fine you have, you have been <laughs> but you crowned know what? fork fest is what you make of it and if I want to want to be a pothead for fork fest I'm gonna do so fork fest absolutely is what you make of it I mean that's why you know I can't criticize fork fest or anything like that if I'm not having a good time this is my fault well, right and we have had a couple nights here where we were all around the fire until you know sunrise was light out and it was hilarious they I were you know we were having a good time off. I laughed so hard I snorted and I think I teared a little bit. 
Awesome. So that's ForkFest.party. I don't mean to suggest, you know, there's nothing going on and there's no one here or anything like that, but I do want people to be aware that, you know, if you come up here, you're going to see only six libertarians and there's some other people who are probably either leaving or they're just locals who seem to be here for the fireworks that are coming up on July 3rd. So I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but ForkFest is happening. And of course, we are expecting more people, more libertarians to come up this weekend. We just don't know how many that's going to be or anything like that. We, we have no data to point to. We just we have heard from people who have heard from people who know people and that sort of thing. There will almost certainly be more libertarians here. They're just not at the moment. And usually Thursday is about the day you would expect people to be rolling in. And of course, we haven't been here. We, we left a little while ago. I don't know. I haven't looked around. Maybe there are more people here. But anyway, I want to make fun of Amazon just or these U.S. newspapers just a little bit further. I said Amazon because earlier we had a segment where we were making fun of Amazon, but we had to scrap that because the article ended up being completely... It's always a good time to make fun of Amazon. So we yeah. spared you all. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. But I mean, newspapers are dying. They are down from 8,891 in 2005 to 6,377. So about a, oh. a 25% death rate wow. from... I'm wonder, surprised. I wonder what peak newspaper, like how many companies were peak? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Or how many papers, I guess. Significantly higher than there is now, certainly. And I mean, newspapers, I just don't see how the industry is going to come back, right? Like the New York Times and some of these others, they managed to transition to having websites and stuff like that. And th- that was probably a good decision. There's others like Us Weekly that are, you know, transitioning to not printing. I don't know what's going to happen, but print newspapers certainly seems to be dying. And I don't see any way they can recover when we do live in a world where I can pull up my phone. I mean, I do this for the show here and see what is happening right now in the world. And we can talk about that instead of talking about what happened yesterday. But there is more coming up here from Rogers Campground. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground here in the beautiful White Mountain of New Hampshire. We are at Fort Fest 2022 here at Rogers Campground. There are no tickets, which, you know, I feel, um, Nikki, you pointed out that, you know, it felt like we kind of didn't, you didn't say this, but you said something that made me feel like that. Like we spent the entire last segment bashing Fort Fest, and I don't want to, you know, have, have portrayed that at all. Fort Fest is a fantastic time. There are still plenty of people here. There's no doubt. And if you go further back, every morning I walk as we around the campsite. There's absolutely people further back, but they're very spread out. And they have Pork Fest stickers on their things. They're just kind of keeping to themselves. I mean, it, you know, they have their group over there. There are people here. There are people to hang out with. There is stuff going on. Like today, you did a yoga session yesterday yep, morning. And that was actually went very well. So. Awesome. And there's nightly bingo going on. So, yeah. I mean, there is stuff to do and there is stuff happening. So, check it out at ForkFest.Party. I want to make fun of flying, though, because I, I used to really enjoy flying, right? It, it, was a good, it was a good way of traveling other than having to deal with the TSA, right? That's what they have. Ab- flying now is absolutely 
a nightmare. But before I really get into that, I want to just talk about the general overview of flying. And like, you get there, you get on your your airplane, or your, I mean your jet rather. You get and, in the airplane. Yeah, you get you get your drink served to you. You land. You get on your next flight, and then you're you're there at your destination, right? Probably with a pretty good buzz. Got someone there to pick you up. That was what a flying always was for me. Well, then this year happened. Well, then COVID-19 happened, mm-hmm. and flying changed drastically. Now, dealing with the TSA already sucks. you got to get to your airport like two hours early, and then you have to, which is stupid. I mean, you really don't have to get there two hours early. It depends on the airport. If you go to Atlanta and you're flying internationally, you probably want to get there at least two hours early. But, like, I have flown out of a number of airports throughout the United States here, and in almost all of them, I got through TSA within, like, 10 or 15 minutes of entering the line. It just really doesn't take that long. Then you have to walk to, you know, your concourse and your gate and all of that stuff, and that could take a little bit of time, depending on the size of the airport. But that whole myth about being two hours early, that's nonsense. Well, it used to be. It's not so much nonsense today because... Your plane is likely to be delayed. I experienced this on every single flight recently for my father's funeral. Every single one was delayed. One of them because they didn't have flight attendants. Another one because I I don't remember all of the reasons that they were given, but it was they either didn't have pilots, they didn't have flight attendants, and it would be delayed for an hour, delayed for an hour and a half, delayed for two hours, and you're just sitting there for three, four, five, six hours. They're trying to maximize their occupancy too. And in addition to that, uh, during the COVID bit, they also had airplanes flying empty just to maintain their parking oh. spot at the Well, next that was international. Airport. That was a result of the United Right, but I'm Kingdom. just saying that like, when you have an industry that is not only regulated by government, but then you insert something like the TSA on top of it, you're going to get these types of phenomena because they're not naturally occurring market phenomena. Right. Absolutely not. So it was very frustrating how, like, a flight, a total amount of hours spent flying from, you know, Bradley International, which is the closest and easiest airport for me to use, down to Memphis for my father's funeral, the total amount of time actually spent in a plane, not with wheels on the ground, was like two hours and 40 minutes. A very, very quick trip. You want to, okay, that's about how long it takes to drive from Keene to Rogers Campground, incidentally. Like, okay, I can handle that. Yeah, but these were both all-day endeavors. Like, you have to leave, get there two hours early, then you get there, and you wait, and you wait. And going through the stress of TSA and waiting in the terminal and having to pick up your luggage and all the other things. And I know, especially during COVID, some people were having to get COVID tests at the airport and fill out all of these questionnaires and surveys, and it just made it so much more difficult than it really needs to be. It's very rare that I boycott entire industries, but flying is one of them. Well, it's been so taken over by the government that the, the there is no real industry. It's just government at this point, right? It's the FAA. But then you sit there, as you point out, it's tedious and it sucks and it's boring, and then your flight's delayed. This happened every single time by at least half an hour. Then you finally get, and it's like, okay, well, that that's tolerable because my next layover is, oh my God, it's three hours and 27 minutes long. And that's how most flights are, though. I can't find a direct flight anywhere at this point. I'm sure some airlines are still doing them, but they're very, very difficult to find. I got a direct flight to L.A., and it was substantially more expensive, but I it was imagine. worth it for me to not have to deal with the layover. Yeah, the layover sucks. And they the amount of layover time has gone up substantially. Like, last year, I flew a lot, and the year before that, I flew a lot. And the average layover was probably like an hour. 
Now it's closer to two and a half to three hours. And then your flight, your next flight gets delayed anyway. So you're stuck there at the airport for four hours to five hours or whatever. And then you get there and it's a whole 10, 12 hour long day, 10 hour long thing. And finally you get there and then you look back, you're like, man, 75% of this journey was spent waiting on airlines to get off their asses and take me to where I'm trying to be, where I paid them to take me. Ah, the miracle of modern flight. Right, and it shouldn't be that way. It should be so much better when you think about the 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 travel speeds of these things. Like I think about some some friends of mine and some you know personal flights I've taken with them to go you know to go skydiving and stuff like that. And they got these four seaters, whatever these Cessnas. And in in an hour, you can be anywhere in you know Connecticut or New Hampshire or anywhere in New England, just about that you want to be. And it's you you arrive at the airport, you you park right there at the hangar, you get on the plane, and then you're off. The total time it takes to do this is like three minutes, and that's the way flying should be. That's why I love here in New Hampshire. We have this we have this new flying car law or whatever that you do have to have an FAA license. You do have to be a licensed pilot. However, here in New Hampshire, and I don't remember the specifics. We had a state rep on. I think it was Mark Warden on with us to talk about that. Uh, here in New Hampshire, you you can in fact have a flying car. If you have built one, presumably, because they aren't for sale anywhere. And you do have to have a license in order to use it. But in theory, this means you could just be driving down the road and just take There's off. So many lies from the past, right? Like they had us believing that flying would turn into this ultra luxury experience. Well, and it would have. Now it's a Greyhound bus in the sky. Well, and it is, for, best. It is for people that have, you know, like celebrities and things that have their private jets and, you know, people that can fly first class. But even if you're flying first class, first class doesn't solve the problems. Still, I fly first class; it doesn't solve. Yeah, any of you these still problems. have to. But and then there's also you can get pre-approved, so you don't have to go through TSA. But then you have to give them a bunch of information about you, and they have to do all these background checks, and you have to pay money to be able to do it. So, but they also had us believing that by the year 2000, we would all have flying cars. Right. And we would, again, if it wasn't for government. Because that, that experience, those experiences I've had with pilots of mine who own, pilot friends of mine who own planes and stuff like that is, and that's how flying should be. You get there, three minutes later, boom, you're done. There's no TSA, there's, there's none of that garbage to deal with. It's just, this is how it is. Here's the airport. Because airports are all around the United States. Most people don't even realize that there's airports everywhere. Yeah. I'm sure there's an airport within 10 miles of us here. But, you can't just do that, and it's largely thanks to the government. And flying isn't getting any better here in the United States. People are being warned that flying is going to be the worst part of your summer vacation. I do have a music festival coming up in July that I'm going to. I was considering, you know, just taking a flight out to Mansfield, Ohio, or, you know, wherever the nearest airport was going to be. But now I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm 16 hours in a car is going to be about the same as taking a flight there apparently so and you can bring so much more things it's just so much more relaxed generally to just drive places there's more coming up it is free talk live It's Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. And we're talking about what it's like to fly stage because flying used to be relatively enjoyable. Uh, I mean, it, it was never fun, right? 
but it, it was it was tolerable. That's what I would use. It was tolerable. The last time I flew, though, it was intolerable because first of all, on two of the flights, half of the flights that I took, there was no service whatsoever. They didn't offer you any drinks or anything. And like, right. as oh, I mentioned, really? yeah, I, I had that on my flight out here because I had to. I took like four hops to get from Seattle to yeah. to Manchester in New Hampshire, and so yeah, two of the four flights I didn't. There were no services. And that's frustrating. I fly first class for a number of reasons, but one of them is because you you get free drinks. You're right there at the front. They always see you. They can tell whether or not your drink is empty. I mean, you have a dedicated flight attendant if you're sitting there in first class, and it's just a neat little benefit. However, half of those flights, there was no benefit whatsoever. You get to get on the plane before everyone else. Oh, good. I get you to get in to the sar- for first class without any of the first class stuff. Yes. Uh, well, you get the, well, the you bigger get, seats and, you know, a little bit more comfortable maybe. They are only, the, the size difference is so minor though, right? Yeah. Like even for me, and I'm a pretty tall person, it, I, I wouldn't buy first class just for the leg room because right. it's not that much better. It's slightly improved. But it's not that much better. You get to board before everyone else, sort of, right? Uh, and oh, but good. to me, that's not necessarily a good thing. It isn't because like, oh, I don't want to be on this plane any longer than I have to. Yeah, you get to get in the can of sardines before everyone else, but you don't even get to do that because they do they do pre boarding now, which is people with disabilities or who need longer time or anything like that. I'm the sheer of- number of people who are doing pre boarding that clearly demonstrably have no reason to be pre boarding, and you can't say anything about it. You just have to smile and grin and assume, oh yeah, maybe they have some issue going on that isn't obvious as they walk. Like a healthy individual onto the plane, and I'm sitting. I paid for this benefit. Everybody claims George Carlin, whether you're on the right, the libertarian, the center, or anarchist, or whatever. Everybody claims George Carlin, but uh, you remind me of his bit, which is pre-boarding. How do you get on the plane before getting on the plane? Mm, yeah, but that's what it is, right? And you know, I, if you pull up there in a wheelchair, I'm like, yep, yeah, yeah, you're gonna need some extra time. I'm all for it, man. You know, you, you do you. Or if you're very old and I can, or if you're old and I can tell, okay, you're walking slowly. Yeah, I'll give you some extra time or whatever. But if you're just like this, the, the army vests in particular frustrate me. It's like, dude, you're not. <laughs> You didn't earn any special privileges by being a hired killer for the U.S. government. Sit back down over there, and maybe you should have gotten a real job and be able to buy a better ticket for you and your family instead of killing people for the U.S. government for oil companies. Just maybe. But anyway, that's enough ranting about the air industry, except it really isn't because there's so many things wrong with it. Yeah, I I spell it now, the E-R-R industry, the air industry industry they do make a lot of mistakes luckily i've never had luggage loss but i did recently today in fact an article i didn't want to get into it on the show and i still don't want to but this couple flew with their cat and you know they had the cat in the carrier the airline lost their cat (gasps) oh i would be so mad somehow their black cat got out of the carrier they said Oh, yeah, it's just in the cargo bay. I mean, it's just in the cargo hold. It'll be fine. And the family was like, all right, well, listen, in close space. I mean, they'll eventually catch the cat. And I, like, I would have been like, okay, well, look, escort me out there with some people. That cat's not going to come to you. I know cats. That cat's scared yeah. out of his mind. You get me out there, and like 15 minutes later, I mean, you shut the door. You give me 15 minutes. I'll get that cat out of there. That's always freaked me out to fly with animals. Yeah. I would never do that. I would always drive because I just... I wouldn't fly with my cats unless I could physically have them as carry-on. I don't think I could fly with animals. I I tend to think my dog would handle it really, really well because she she takes almost everything in stride, right? I could probably fly with her. My cats would hate it. 
But if I could have them as carry-on, even if I have to buy them an extra ticket for them to share with the dog or whatever. Yeah, and I've seen people do that before, like have them on the seats or whatever, like under the American Airlines will sell you a ticket for your dog. Uh, other airlines won't apparently. I looked into this when I because I was like, why not take her to, to my father's funeral with me, right? But in the end, it wasn't worth it because I'm not paying you know two hundred, three hundred dollars yeah. or whatever. To, yeah. yeah, it's just not worth it to me. But anyway, I mean, it is possible to do these sorts of things, and there, there are so many issues with flying. As I was talking about the cat, though, the airline came back a little while later and said, "Oh yeah, your cat tried to chase a bird, and now now we don't know where your cat what? went." The, the cat got out, basically. They, they probably never had any idea where the cat oh, was. Oh, yeah, probably. They were just like, okay, well, the cat's got to still be in the cargo hold, right? The cat couldn't have gotten out, but they didn't know that. And then they come back, you know, two hours later, they go, oh, yeah, by the way, we think your cat got out chasing a bird. And how do you make that up, you know? You can't, like, uh, an I'm sorry is not going to fix that. Money is not going to fix that. I no. mean, animals, a lot of people's pets are part of their family. It's like, oh, well, you know, we lost your kid, but they were just chasing a bird, and now, oops, oh, sorry. And I have flown a lot. I would tend to, I don't recall ever particularly noticing a bird at an airport. I would imagine that's one of the places birds tend to avoid. It's like, hey, there's a concentration of stuff here that wants to share the air with us. Let's go to where this concentration of stuff isn't at. Right. But I don't know that. I'm just saying, I don't think I've ever actually seen a bird at an airport anywhere near a plane. I could be wrong. But I don't think I have. If I did, it wasn't a large enough number. Like, man, they better watch out for someone's cat. They have a name for it. Every now and again, airplanes will run into birds in the yeah. sky, and they have a name for that when that happens. I can't remember what it is. Well, I think it's pretty common, right? I mean, yeah. the, the windshields that they use in jets and these aircraft, they have to be rated to a certain uh, level of impact specifically for that purpose. So they don't depressurize and all that. But air travel sucks right now, and it's only going to get worse. And good God, does it suck right now. For at least the summer and probably for the rest of the year, the travel industry, particularly airlines, has been short-staffed since last year, you know, when they fired a bunch of their staff for be- not being vaccinated and, you know, that kind of thing. They they have been short-staffed, basically, Yeah, who would have saw a staffing shortage coming after that? I, I can't believe they didn't see it coming. Why was it the staffing shortage here, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever? Why is it just now hitting now? Airlines and airports, both domestic and international, are still scrambling to fully staff up, which makes them more vulnerable to delays. It also suggests to me that they're just making too many flights. They, they can't keep up with the level of demand that they have for their services, so they need to do something. And they're probably not allowed to because of the U.S. governments or be, or because, you know, the governments that control the airports that they're utilizing. Like, the Atlanta airport is a major hub for Delta, so a, almost a lot of flights, rather, go through the, to, through the Atlanta airport, and they have to follow some kind of Atlanta airport ruling. Over the last weekend of June, hundreds of flights flying into, out of, or within the U.S. have been canceled every day. Wow. According to the Flight Aware Tracker. Now, I did experience this recently. I was trying to fly my sister's boyfriend up here so I could give him a car. And he missed his first flight because he couldn't get off worker time or something like that. So they rescheduled it for the next morning, and that flight just got canceled. So I rebook it for another day and come back, and that's what they want to do. I was like, ah, you guys don't understand. I'm not going to be home next week for you guys to do this. I'm going to be at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire right. at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. This had to happen now. Well, they could have came <laughs> here and hung out. No, they couldn't have. I, I'm like, I don't know those people. On Wednesday, June 29th, there were 5,800 delays and 639 cancellations for flights landing within or departing from the country. So that's almost 6,000 delays. 
And that those can be they, – they can range anywhere. An example of how government is causing some of these delays at least was – so on one of my flights back from Mississippi, I think, or Tennessee rather, we had to wait because one of the flights came from Jamaica. And that meant it was an international flight, and they had to do a full security sweep of the entire oh plane, which took like 45 minutes for them to do because they had to, we had to use that plane, which also involved us changing our boarding gate to a different one because the previous plane couldn't be fully staffed or couldn't be ready at the time. So they, we had to go all the way from like A gate to C gate or whatever. And then we had to wait an additional 45 minutes or so while they did a full sweep. Like, it's from Jamaica. The, the, the good people of Jamaica aren't trying to kill Americans, people. Can we get on? Yeah, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to find a, you know, a joint and somebody left behind. But, uh, it took them a while to get the, sm- the pot smoke out of the cabin, probably. But I mean, yeah, it's come just, on. It, that was 100% caused by the government. There, there, no one with a brain would be like, oh, this plane just flew up from Jamaica. Mm. Better check it for bombs. No sane person would think that. They're like, all right, let's load these people up and get them on out of here. There is more to talk about about why flying sucks right now. So stay tuned. There's more coming up. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live from Rogers Campground and the beautiful White Mountain South New Hampshire. You can join us on our social media server if you're sick of big tech censorship. If you're sick of being told you can't do this or you can't say that or having this, independent fact checkers have disputed the veracity of this claim sort of thing going on on your post. Then check out our social media server at social.freetalklive.com. You won't have to put up with any of that garbage there. In fact, the only people who can do that, I think, would be myself and Ian, and neither one of us are going to do it because we don't care. It's not, it's not worth it to us. And we do have people getting reported to us and nonsense like that, and it's just not worth it. Captain, you may also be able to do another think about it. Well, it, I'm old enough to remember a time before fact checkers. Yeah. And it's still really horrific that they exist. It absolutely is. I mean, it's, it's, it's Bad times are ahead, right? And that's why I'm, I want to talk about this travel thing here because – it's, it's sort of a microcosm of everything else that's going wrong in the United States. You've got this highly governmentally controlled industry here where every, every person working there is licensed to some degree by the federal government. What by could the go FAA. wrong? Yeah. And it's one of the worst industries in the United States today. Last year, this person reported on how airline industry executives have blamed such inconveniences on bad weather. I remember that when there were there were like 2000 flights canceled or something like that because of a protest, an alleged protest that they refused to admit ever actually happened. I do remember that. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, it's just bad weather. You look on the weather and it's like, no, other airlines had their weather, had their flights canceled because, oh, and it's. 86 degrees and sunny down there in Tampa. Okay, yeah. The weather. And they got away with it. And the labor shortage, which is sort of an issue. But there isn't a labor shortage. To say that there's a labor shortage is fundamentally untrue. What there is, is a wage shortage. Someone will do that job for you if you're willing to pay them enough money to. There, There cannot ever be such a thing as a labor shortage. There's a shortage of employers who are willing to pay the employees what the employees feel that they're worth. 
That's the labor shortage. In April, the U.S. government lifted the federal mask mandate for travelers and crew members, and that was one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard. Why, mid-flight, these pilots were like, hey, people, we just want to let you know. We're taking off our masks, and so can you. It's over. Everyone take off your mask if you want, and you can leave them in the middle of a flight. They didn't even wait for their for the CEO to make a statement or for their supervisors or whatever. That's funny. I didn't know that happened. It did. As soon as the news <laughs> broke, pilots came over the intercoms in their flight saying, Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we just want to let you know the mask order has been you know, rescinded by a judge in Florida in the middle of a flight. Yep. And, of course, people react to how you would expect. You know, Yay! some people... Well, some people did that. Some people were looking around in fear. They're like, oh, my God, ah! some people aren't wearing masks anymore. And then other people were just sort of indifferent. Like, all right, whatever. And took their mask off. And then you have the people like me who would have been on there like, okay, cool. I don't have to pretend to be sipping this empty cup of ice anymore. Yeah, Great. literally. <laughs> so that, that did get lifted in April, and it was, it was just bizarre to see it. Many of flight attendants have expressed relief at this change in policy. I can imagine so. It... These people aren't paid to deal with this kind of... Well, flight attendants, they are kind of paid to deal with this nonsense. They're kind of the police officers in the air realistic. They have a broad range of powers once that plane takes off. Well, and also, it's already kind of loud in an airplane, so I can't imagine... It's already sometimes difficult to take orders. You know, you're you're yelling across the two other people that are sitting there with you, and then add masks to it where you can't even read people's lips. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite flight attendants was when I was on my way to Louder Than Life last year. And, they, like, before the plane even take off, this this dude goes around going, are you going to want a drink when we go take the air? What can I get you? I'm like, oh, yeah, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it, right? That way, like, as soon as we're, you know, there in the air and you can provide service, you don't have to go around asking us our drinks. you got your list right there. And you're like, bam, that much faster than everyone else. Unfortunately, you're not allowed to tip flight attendants right. when they do awesome stuff like that. But they do have a wide variety of powers when, they, when they're in the air. They can handcuff you. They can zip tie you to your chair and Uh-oh. stuff like that. They they can do quite a lot. Of, they'd probably get fired if it found out it wasn't justified or whatever. But if push came to shove, they can do it. And, you know, pilots can take wheels and stuff like that because you know, it makes sense. Just like with the ship captain. Once you're out there, you know, right. that's the authority. And you kind of got to do what they say or everyone could die. So I, I sort of understand why they get it. But it does suck. Still... I don't remember exactly why I got into that. Oh, many flight attendants have expressed relief at this change in policy, which I was beginning to say I understand because your average employee isn't paid to deal with this crap. Your average fast food worker or your average gas station worker, dude, they are not paid to stand there arguing with customers about this mass crap. But I saw so many people that worked in this uh, service industry love it. Like They loved they that power yeah. trip they could be on. But I think maybe two years into it, it starts to get old. There were certainly people like that. We worked uh, at my old job. I worked with some people who were like that, or at least one person who was like that. You could just tell. Like, she got off on it. This was the first time in her life she had any authority, any ability to tell someone what they could and couldn't do. And she didn't have to worry about getting in trouble for throwing out a customer or whatever. Because ordinarily in food service, that's frowned upon. Right. But yep. suddenly during COVID-19, you can throw out customers all you want. We had one employee yell profanities. Uh, he yelled at some poor 16 year old girl. He yelled oh a gosh. certain word beginning with a C that you are never, ever, ever supposed to call a female. And he did that saying it's 
people like you, except he didn't use the word people, that are causing you know older people to die or whatever. He yells this to her out the front door, this 16-year-old girl Jeez. who had only forgotten her mask in her car. Like, she had a mask. She just forgot it. And she came in and she's like, I forgot my mask in my car. And that was this person's reaction. So there absolutely were people who were you know getting off on the power trip. But just as many were like, dude, I don't... I already have a crappy job, is what these people were thinking. And you want me to deal with all of this, these hostile people on top of that? Nah, it sucked. But luckily that went away, especially for, you know, flight attendants, stuff, stuff like that. And, you know, there could be more COVID-19 infections among crew members as a result of that, according to this article. I don't think that was the case. I, I, don't, I don't think there was this widespread resurgence of COVID-19 as a result Definitely of it. Definitely not. No, I mean, and people are like, oh, God, there's, we're at a five-month high in cases in New York City for COVID-19. I'm looking around, I'm like, and? Yeah. I mean, the pandemic is over, and you're not going to be able to resurrect COVID fear in Americans at this point. They're done. Uh, libertarians oftentimes get hung up on proving who's the most correct. Yeah. However, in the case of COVID-19, it turns out that the cure for COVID was to just stop caring about it. It does seem to be that way, right? And that was what I loved about the music festival that I went to last year because this was the pandemic was still ongoing uh, in September of last year. It wasn't declared to be over yet or whatever. We were expecting the the winter to be even to be so much worse or the whatever. The winter of death. But no one no one cared. Didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, and that also didn't happen. There was no winter of death or whatever. I don't think I think even flu numbers were probably still down. So, I mean, well, but, did the flu actually come back cuz remember it disappeared for a whole year? It, I've heard of some people getting the flu or testing positive for it or whatever, thinking they had it. It disappeared because the PCR tests that people were using to test for COVID-19. I mean, that could seems not obvious to us, but that's not what the uh, mainstream media would have you believe. No, it certainly isn't. And I haven't seen anything about the PCR tests in like 18 months or so. Whenever it was, the last thing I saw about them was, that, oh, look, we've learned that they actually, it's true. They can't tell the difference between COVID-19 and the flu. That was the last I ever heard of. They continued using them yeah. for some period of time after that. And then they just sort of stopped talking about it. I don't know what they do for testing now. I've got a surgery coming up next month, late next month. And I have to, oh, I might have to reschedule that, come to think of it. Because I think one of the Crypto 6 defendants or former defendants has a sentencing hearing on that particular day mm. that I may want to be... I think three of them do, actually, or within the period of time that I wouldn't be able to be there. So I'm going to have to look more into that now that those things have connected. But anyway, apparently I have to get a COVID-19 test for that. I'm like, but, but COVID's over. I understand why I had to do it back in January when, you know, it was the winter of death or whatever. And even then I didn't see anyone dying. But that's what's going on in the flight industry. They're saying that, you know, it takes 60 to 90 days to interview hire and put a pilot through training. And that doesn't mean, you know, flight school and all of that. They have to already be a licensed right. pilot at that point. So the airlines have to be very proactive and everybody's competing for the same shrinking pool. And basically, they don't want to pay pilots what pilots feel they are worth in order to entice them to work for them. Yeah, and they have to pass all of the scrutiny too, the bureaucratic scrutiny, the government scrutiny, not just the airline scrutiny. So recently, as Early as not as recently as nine days ago, thirteen hundred Southwest Airlines pilots were setting up a demonstration at one airport. So that was probably caused a lot of flight delays and stuff like that. They're unhappy because you know they worked a lot of extra hours during the pandemic, and then they were sort of some of their staff was just sort of thrown under the bus. There's a group of people I, I haven't thought about to make a huge 
protest, like the truckers' protest. If pilots just all got together and shut everything down, they could get something done. A lot could be done very quickly. We're out of time for today, but check us out in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Iconic guitarist Eric Clapton's lifelong passion for the blues burns brightly in a new film and soundtrack release entitled Nothing But the Blues. The documentary film, which was nominated for an Emmy Award, has been upgraded to 4K for its long-awaited official Blu-ray and DVD release. The new soundtrack album features all of the music from the 1995 film and also includes more than an hour of previously unreleased live performances, Eric spoke about his lifelong love and respect for the blues. It is still a fix for me to come here, have a band of musicians. I mean, I generally speak, I walk through that door on the other side of the room, pick up my guitar, and we'll start work. What it means, I think, is that this music that I'm making here has been my motivation. It's the thing I've turned to, the thing that has given me inspiration and relief in all of the trials and tribulations of my life I've always had this incredibly secure place to go to with that with the blues and and this is the first testament to that that I've ever made really on my own you know it's about time too it's long overdue that's iconic guitarist Eric Clapton whose long-awaited documentary film and music soundtrack nothing but the blues will be released on multiple formats on June 24th order now at ericclapton.com